Hello, and welcome to episode 152 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is still most of them, and talk about the good, the bad, and the nexus. This week we're going to be talking about Star Trek Generations on your Make It So podcast. I'm Mandy Kay, and you can find me on Twitter at Mandy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. You can find me on Twitter at Matthew Vose. This week, we welcome back Jen from the podcast A Command of Her Own, where they discuss Star Trek Discovery when it's on and female led science fiction when it isn't. Jen, welcome back to Pop Culture Deprived. Thank you so much for having me back on. I've missed talking about Star Trek since Discovery's been on hiatus, <laughs> and it's always a treat to talk to- with the two of you. Oh, yeah, we love talking to you too, for sure. Are you going to be doing Picard when it comes out? I don't think so, unless it's some kind of bonus content Mm -hmm. for the podcast we've got. I don't think Kate has interest in doing it, and I'm not sure I've got time to do a recap. Mm. Uh, But maybe like um, mid-season, end-of-season, sort of just me talking about impressions and stuff like that Mm -hmm. might happen. Cool. I would love to hear that. Mm. Yeah, I liked all your uh, Instagram stories talking on them. Uh, on on all the news yeah i want to kind of do more of that Mm. i just need to work on my own editing skills and uploading because kate does all of that for us so (laughs) i really need just to like push myself to do something for that Mm. and then i'll be able to do more of that without needing kate's time absolutely do we know when discovery is coming back i have not heard a release date yet i think they might be waiting till a little closer to picard premieres okay which is soon it's like a month away Mm. yeah it's january and i'm guessing discovery is gonna start up right after picard so i know they've been doing filming and production Mm. okay cool soon and then there's cartoons and all sorts coming Yes, Section 31, apparently. <laughs> Absolutely. Cartoons. Yeah. I'm super excited about those. We are back so. in a world where Star Trek is everywhere. Yes. yes. Pretty great. It's, it's like the me. 90s again. Mm-hmm. Well, I just about to say, it, like, this is a nice uh, comparison to what we're talking about, Generations. This was the first film that came in came out after I got into Star Trek. Jen, I have a feeling it might be the similar sort of thing for you. Yes, I realized this morning it was the first Star Trek film I saw in theaters. Right. Uh, was it just you? Did you drag the whole family with you? It was me and my sister for sure. Right. And I was chatting with her this week to see if she could remember if we were with some friends or not, but neither of us can remember. Okay. <laughs> it was so long ago, because we're all so old. Thanks, Mandy. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> I th- this is the first film I saw three times in cinema. Wow! Because for, for exactly that thing, it's like it, this is the first Star Trek film since getting into Star Trek. So yes, I will go and see this a lot. Oh, a lot, a lot. that's interesting. I'm curious when we get into the conversation um, to find out how your opinions of the movie have changed since then. Because okay. I was surprised by the rating you gave it on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm looking yeah. forward to that conversation. <laughs> Um, Mandy, do you want to tell us what this is about and a bit of background? Okay, so, with the help of long-presumed dead Captain Kirk, Captain Picard must stop a deranged scientist willing to murder on a planetary scale in order to enter a space matrix. 
or as they call it, the Nexus. The Nexus. The Nexus. Kathleen. Yep. <laughs> All right. Star Trek Generations, released in November 1994, is the seventh film in the Star Trek franchise, and it brings together the cast of the original series and the next generation. Directed by TNG veteran director David Carson, it was written by Ronald D. Moore and Brandon Braga. Braga? Braga. 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 Brandon Braga. Braga. Damn it. <laughs> I said it right in there sometime. All right. <laughs> Brandon Braga, during the final season of TNG, and even started production before the series wrapped. The film was released six months after the finale. In the first draft of the script, the entire principal cast of the original series was featured, but lines were reworked when Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly opted not to appear. Ultimately, only William Shatner, James Doohan, and Walter Koenig appeared from TOS. Generations was the first major motion picture to have its own website for marketing, and there was a lot of tie-in merchandise created to promote the movie, including collectible cups from Jack in the Box, promotional kiosks at Kmart, I don't even know what that would look like, a special issue of Entertainment Weekly, video games, and a novelization of the movie that spent three weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. It opened number one at the box office and stayed in the top ten for four weeks. However, it did receive mixed reviews from critics. Yeah, this was a very good time to like Star Trek because Next Gen finished in, the finale was in May. Mm-hmm. DS9 Season 3 started in September. And DS9 Season 3 is pretty much all bangers. It, they are some great episodes and pretty much for the rest of its run. This comes out in November. Voyager starts January of 95. Yeah, this was a good couple of years. Yeah, yeah. That's funny you say that about DS9 because... I am in season three in my rewatch, but I haven't actually watched okay. an episode in a couple of months. Right. Like, so much stuff has just been happening. Like, that's the thing that I put on when I have downtime. Mm-hmm. I just haven't had any downtime. And it's not, you know, shooty, shooty, bang, bang, destiny, so. Yes, that's true. Okay, so that's <laughs> that's not downtime because that is quality time that I spend with my significant other who lives 500 miles away. Oh. So, that's not downtime. <laughs> All right, so I am assuming both of you guys own this movie. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Is it available anywhere in either Canada or the UK? It's not streaming in Canada, but it is available to rent on all the major online rental services. Okay. Yeah, Sky Cinema still have them over here, mm. so they've got all of them. Again, did not check, just went, oh, I'm assuming it's still there. How good it is. <laughs> <laughs> How about for you? Um, Joseph owns the full Star Trek collection, so luckily I did get to watch it that way because he has digitized his collection. Um, But it is actually available to rent everywhere. It's not on Hulu or Netflix, but you can still, like in Canada, get it wherever you might prefer to see your online content. Nice. Okay. Um, This introduced the the one new person, I think, to this was uh, Malcolm Bedell. And I don't think we've seen him on the show before. I really thought we had. Like, the entire time I was watching this, I was like, we've talked about him before. And then I went and looked, and we haven't. Like, I don't know who I'm mixing him up with. Maybe Roddy McDowell? <laughs> Maybe? I don't know. So I, I know Malcolm McDowell's face, and I know his name. Like, when his, okay. his face popped up, I was like, oh, that's Malcolm McDowell. I don't know why I know this. I've not really seen any of his movies. I've seen him on TV a lot, I guess, but he's always a guest star, like on CSI or Law and Order. Like, right. I, I, so I don't know. I, I don't know why I know who he is. I just do. I love him. I think he's awesome. He's just such a great presence. He's got that voice. Brilliant. Does he ever not play a bad guy? 
Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Because that was the first thing I thought when I saw him. I was like, that's Malcolm McDowell. He's going to be the bad guy. Because I feel like he's always the bad guy. Like, he just does it really well. I'm just having a scroll through. No, no. I mean, to the extent he's got a new film out this year, Bombshell, where he plays Rupert Murdoch. Right. So. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, This is also the introduction of our Next Generation crew. I think we've mentioned this before, but what's your experience of Star Trek The Next Generation? I have the Star Trek Next Generation was my introduction to Star Trek. Um, my parents watched it when I was younger, and I didn't watch it fanatically with them, but I enjoyed it. I had a huge crush on Wesley Crusher at, at that point in time. And since then, I have gone back because it was on Netflix. I assume it still is. So I've seen it start to finish, okay. like properly start to finish. Like I had seen okay. all of the episodes in syndication, but like not in order and kind of not in, not actively. But I have sat down and said, okay, I'm going to bench Star Trek, and I did that thing. So, Wow. I, I don't I, understand this reaction. There is a mix of quality in The Next Generation. Oh, absolutely. And there's a lot. Star mm. Trek seasons were ridiculously long. Like, <laughs> TV, so long. television seasons back in the <laughs> 90s. I mean, like, 25, 26 episodes? Mm. Like, sometimes you're just thinking, like, when is the season going to end? And I'm experiencing that with DS9, too. Yeah. So long, but there yeah. is some really great stuff in TNG. There is, there is. There's at least one every season. Um, <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> God, yeah, and, and it just it po- highlights how good something like Discovery is because they, you know, ten, thirteen episodes, really concise stories, really good core stuff going on. All right. See, I feel that way yeah. about TNG, but that might be the nostalgia talking because TNG is my Star Trek. Like Picard is my captain. Right. Riker is my number one, right? I mean, yeah, you know, he's mine, of course. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like when I think of Star Trek, that's this is the cast and crew. Like this is the crew of the Enterprise for me. Okay, and so you were excited to see them on film? I was so excited to see them on film, and I had no idea when in the timeline this took place. Okay, because um, I mean, because I didn't look it up beforehand because. Spoilers, right? Mm. And so that was actually one of my first questions was when in the timeline does this take place? And then I was surprised to find it was actually after the show mm. wrapped. It was like this was after the series finale. Mm. So Okay. Well, okay. Let's start us off with the question of did you enjoy it? I did. Okay. Picard was on my screen. Of course I enjoyed it. <laughs> I was never not going to enjoy it. So did, when did you expect it to take place? Did you think this was going to be like an interstitial between season six and seven type thing. Yeah, I think so. I think I expected it mm. to be, I mean, because you, it wouldn't necessarily have to be referenced by events in the show because it didn't change anything for any of the core characters except for Data having the emotion chip, which I didn't know about when I started watching the movie, right? Okay. So I just, I didn't know. Okay. Um, Jen, what was your reaction when you first saw it? And has that changed over time? So I loved it when I first saw it. Mm-hmm. But I can remember even at the time being a little bit critical of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the last time I was on, everyone knows Kirk is not my favorite. And so the fact that he was in this and they were doing this sort of passing the torch thing mm-hmm. wasn't, to me, I mind the best idea. But in general, I did enjoy the movie. I thought it parts of it were really well done. And... Yeah, there were some parts that I'm critical of that I'm sure we'll talk about, but I really enjoyed it. I enjoy going back to it, and 
yeah, it was just generally a good time. For me at the time, it really drove home that Star Trek Next Generation was done and over. Mm. And whatever was happening now was going to be something different. So it was a little bit bittersweet, okay. but still a good movie. What was it that drove that home? The ship crash. Ah, okay. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, pretty final. <laughs> but we've seen the Enterprise destroyed so many times under Kirk's reign, and it still always comes back. They rebuild it. But this ship, I just had like seven years mm. of history mm. with. Okay. It felt like a crew member. So I knew it was going to come back, but it wasn't going to be the same Enterprise. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And like other times they've crashed the ship or like had it explode. Um, I sometimes get really pissed off because <laughs> it feels like it's unearned. Yeah. They put a ship in a movie and we've seen it for the length of the movie and then they blow it up and it's supposed to be impactful. And it's like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. All the times that we've seen, oh, there's a warp core. We need to do a thing. We need to reject it. Whatever. Mm-hmm. We finally have a movie, and they, it does actually blow up. Yep. And, and the effect of the the whole because the idea of the saucer separating from the actual like main body of the ship was always a really good idea, and they never used it really in the series. So it's quite nice to see it used here, and that effect of it crashing is really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they use practical effects for a bunch of the mm. saucer section being like dragged on the ground. So the effects are really good, and I just don't think they had the budget to use it much in the series. But apparently it was even a concept back in um, the original series, mm-hmm. and it didn't get used much then either. Okay. I think it might come up in a book. Right. Because, ah. yeah, they they went back to landing the ship with Voyager. And again, they used it like three times, because <laughs> it's a nice yes. idea. Um the the thing I, I think this is my thing with the whole film and it's it sort of really comes together in the crashing of the ship. There's a lot of these kind of big set pieces that just spend ages zooming in on people, having reaction shots, and then long CG moments. And the fact we see some of that twice when they then go back and we see the ship crashing again. It's like, no, no, I've seen this. I don't need to watch this again. The the film now feels really slow which might be my issue with it. I think there's probably sort of 45 minutes or an hour of a really good film in here. And there's some really good ideas that they may or may not know they have. But there's a lot of sort of waiting for things to happen. And it's just people reacting to stuff. Shock look, zoom in. Shock look, zoom in. Someone grab someone else. More shock looks. (laughs) I think that's fair. Um, I would take out a whole bunch of the Enterprise B stuff and the Kirk stuff as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's if they would have more closely integrated it into the whole plot, it might have been more meaningful. But this just feels like it's shoved in for nostalgia, fan service, and um, cameo appearances. Mm-hmm. So I felt a lot of that was just unnecessary to actually telling the story. Would you have preferred Kirk to not be in it at all? That would have been one way I think they could have tightened up the movie as a whole because a bunch of his scenes in the net 
Texas were also sort of out of character for him. Yes. And so even when I don't like Kirk, I was like, no, that why would Kirk think of this as his perfect thing? This doesn't make sense. Whereas if it had been like another captain that we didn't have history with, that wouldn't have thrown me out at all. Or if they just simply had it Picard in the Nexus as Guinan, that would have been fine as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm glad you say that about Kirk, because I thought he was completely out of character in the Nexus scenes. But part of me was wondering, am I just, is my experience of Kirk primarily just from the movies not enough to understand that this is in character for him? But it felt super out of character. So I'm really glad to get that confirmation. And it's hard because in the Nexus bit, he's even saying, don't let them promote you. Don't let them take you away from the bridge of your ship when he's not on the bridge of his ship. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, he didn't do that until after he had already, he had already decided, oh, this isn't real. And so then he started becoming more in character. Yeah. You know, so I think that was the switch to kind of let us know, oh, he's coming into himself. He's not being brainwashed by the Nexus anymore. Hmm. Hmm. But the the whole thing with the woman and, I mean, so yeah, Kirk and a woman. woman We don't see. Exactly. But she has a name. (laughs) So that's mm-hmm. good. But um, the, the whole thing with, with that is, yes, Kirk's a womanizer. We expect him to drop things for a woman, but we don't ever expect him to give up Starfleet for a woman. And, and that just felt so wrong. Mm. Especially coming off Star Trek VI, where there is no real romantic interest in there. Mm-hmm. And it is about him trying to do the right thing for Starfleet with right. the Klingons, then uncovering the thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it is it is a good sign off. I can kind of see what um, Nimoy and Kelly were both saying about no, we've had our finale, we've right. had our moment. Anything else would ruin it. Yeah, it feels weird to me that this is intended to be like the handoff between the original series and the Next Generation when this is the end <laughs> of the Next Generation. <laughs> right. Like, that's not a handoff. I don't know what it is, but it's, I guess it was just for fan service. I mean, I think it's a great idea. I imagine, I mean, that's why it did so well at the box office, despite the critical reception, I think, because so many people were excited to see Picard (laughs) and Kirk on screen together. Idiots who went to see it three times. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, I lost my train of thought there, but... I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, it's totally fine. I I just, I don't know that this movie accomplishes what they wanted it to accomplish, even though I still really enjoyed watching it because I really enjoyed Picard and Kirk on screen together. And I really enjoyed, I mean, I enjoy anything that's got Picard in it, honestly. So. Okay. I really like, you said something there, Jen, about uh, that tightening up the way they are passing the torch or, or the way they're working. And it's just made me think that, there could have been something nice about Picard goes back to stop Soren, but actually Kirk goes back to the time with his Nexus to do something to help even further back. Mm. That could have worked. I hadn't thought of that, but that would have been nice as well. And then Kirk could have had a more meaningful death as well. Mm. Since that's one of the other big nitpicks in general with the film <laughs> is that Kirk doesn't really get a death befitting of him. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, if he would have chosen to go back to his time, knowing that this time his ship might get just blown up and he would die or something like Mm. that, it would have been uh, more of a heroic sacrifice for him, as opposed to having a bridge fall on him. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah, I was wondering. I didn't really get a chance to look stuff up, but what was the fan reaction to to Kirk's death? Because I imagine if I had been really excited to see a movie that had both Kirk and Picard in it, and Kirk is barely in it, and then he dies, like, I would be angry. Like, was there any sort of backlash for that? Do you know? I wasn't really in mm. the fan scene as much then. So everyone I knew was more of a fan of The Next Generation. And, you know, that didn't really impact it. A few of us were annoyed by the General Kirk line storyline and how he died. Like, but it wasn't like we were angry because we weren't going to see it for him. Mm. Okay. <laughs> that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, I think everything I saw was it, it was just expected. So... Oh, okay. You know. I did not expect to see Kirk's death when I sat down okay. to watch this movie. So, right. um And when it happened so early in the movie, like, when he died, like, with the whole Enterprise B stuff, and then he died, I knew there was going to be time travel for Kirk and Picard to end up together, and so I just assumed it was going to get undone. I right. I had no idea that this movie was setting up, this is actually how Kirk died. Like, in the annals of history, this is how Kirk died, like, saving the Enterprise B. I didn't know that because Mm. I just don't know the lore, right? All of my experience with the original series has been on this podcast. So I didn't know that. And so it was just unexpected. Like, I spent half the movie wondering how are they going, like, to fix this? Like, how is Kirk going to – I thought Kirk was going to go back and somehow be alive. Right. But I still didn't know at that point that – this was the end of TNG, and if if he had gone back, then that would have changed the whole timeline, of course. Although, there's plenty of time travel nitpicky things in this movie to talk about anyway, but... And, and I think the other thing you said, Jen, about if it had been a different captain we weren't so attached to, it, it could have been really nice, actually, if it had been the captain from the Enterprise B. So there's a sort of double torch handoff thing happening. Right. Um, Because you get the sense that the captain of the Enterprise B is very green, Mm -hmm. like he doesn't seem confident. And so this would have been a good sort of way for the Captain Picard to give him an experience and give him some words of uh, advice from a captain who's been around. Mm. And then he can go back and maybe he confidently saves the Enterprise B. Something like that would have been really nice too. Yeah, hmm. Hmm. it's a shame. It's a, it's a shame that it is so trying to force that cameo and that you know pairing of the two of them on screen. I did read somewhere that the very beginning idea of this movie stemmed from like the rivalry of Kirk versus Picard and who's your captain, okay. and they had uh, this one idea of like Kirk and Picard fighting. And that's kind of like how the movie got started. And of course, that got discarded. They didn't end up fighting. But that's where it came from. But then I don't think they ended up using it well. But it was written by, you know, Ronald Moore and Brennan Braga. Mm -hmm. And they were like in their late 20s at this point in their lives. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. I guess it didn't occur to me they were so young, but I guess they would have to be to be the age they are now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I know how time works. I didn't realize that easy 
either until I was thinking about some of this. And then I was like, oh, they're only this old now. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, they were so young. Yeah. I think anytime I see Ronald D. Moore's name, I'm just like, wow, he's his hands are in everything that I like. And so I just expect greatness from him. And it didn't even occur to me, oh, yeah, 1994, that would have been the beginning of his career. So is this almost the downside of the amount of Star Trek that was being made? Because you've then, therefore, you you must have Rick Berman overseeing the TV shows, Ira Stephen Bear doing stuff on the TV, you know, the, the other big players in the Star Trek world, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. all being pulled in different directions. When you think of, like, Joss Whedon working on Firefly and Angel and Buffy, mm-hmm. uh, w- leading to Angel Season 4, um, <laughs> you know, as a comparison. Aww. Your mileage may vary, obviously. But there is good in this. There are things I think they do very well. And, you know, we've already touched on the practical effects. I think some of the CG effects are very good. I think the Nexus stuff, Mm -hmm. the the image of the Nexus looks Mm -hmm. really impressive. Even the bits when they're flying away and you've got the sort of half of the, or, you know, a chunk of the Enterprise B is missing and you can see them standing inside it. Like, that is so much better than anything we've had in a Star Trek film so far. We've had effects like that that were shonky as hell. Yeah. It, it surprises me that this is 94. It feels latent in terms of some of the quality of it. Mm-hmm. Well, it reminds me of... So we had this conversation with the last movie because it was... What was that? 92, maybe? Mm, yeah, 91, something like that. And I I was surprised to find that it was during the run of TNG and the special effects were not up to par to what I was used to seeing on TNG. Mm. And we talked about maybe they were trying to make it look retro because it took place so many years, you know, 50, 60 years before, actually more than that, I guess 80. And so for this movie to come just two years later and it to be so far more superior Mm -hmm. in the visuals, I I, I find that interesting. This movie also would help in terms of budgeting, because for a lot of the sets, they just had to um, relight or reset design mm. a few of the existing next-gen pieces. Mm. Same with uniforms. They didn't have to recreate anything. And that let them sort of push their budget into more of the special effects, practical effects, and the places where it counted. So I think that helped them. They were kind of reusing the next-gen sets. Yeah. You know, they didn't have to build as much from scratch. Yeah. Whereas Star Trek VI had, like, the Klingon courthouse. It had Rura Pente. Mm. It had all of these different places that we hadn't seen before. So they had to spend money building all that. Yeah, that's true. And and our main actors in it are TV actors at this point. Mm-hmm. So I bet they were cheaper to pay for the film rather than, you know, Leonard Nimoy and Bill Shatner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Mandy, you were wondering why Whoopi Goldberg wasn't credited? Yes, I think that's a travesty. And it got me curious. So I started looking up reasons why. And apparently sometimes if they take an uncredited role, they can do it without getting their, like, um, guild wage set. So they might do it as a favor for somebody Mm. so that they don't have to get paid as much. Interesting. Okay. That makes sense. So I was like, given what I know, maybe that was one of the reasons why she loved Star mm-hmm. Trek. And I could see her doing this as a favor so that she could work on the project, 
maybe get paid a lot less than she would otherwise demand with her experience and background. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I Because I, I was reading about Whoopi um, trying to figure this out, and I actually didn't quite get that far into it. So I'm really glad that you, you did. Um, but she was such a big fan of the show that she just basically came on when she had time. Right. And they let her do that. So there were stories that she was a part of that originally weren't supposed to have Guinan as a character and they rewrote lines because she just suddenly became available. Because awesome. during um, the run, like when she came on, she was doing she had a talk show. She was doing movies. She was uh, still doing stand up. Like she right. was doing all of this stuff at the same time. But she wanted to be a part of it so badly that they just mm. kind of worked with her and let her be there when she could which was why she wasn't there at all in season six um and so it was really cool to see her here and and now knowing that she probably did it as a as a favor not that it was a snub for her makes me feel a lot better about it Mm -hmm. she was so excited about star trek next gen coming back on um i think that she might have approached the show right as well. Mm-hmm. Like she has a story of watching TV when she was young and Star Trek came on and Uhura was on the screen and she got so excited because there was a black woman on screen who wasn't playing a maid or a nanny. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it was such an important thing for her childhood. This is like a passion project for her now yeah. that she gets to be involved in. So I can see her doing this as a favor. Mm-hmm. And just to be a part of the Star Trek universe. Although apparently she didn't know when she got on set for this that the entire cast from the original series wasn't going to be there. And she was so disappointed that Nichelle Nichols wasn't there. I can imagine Mm. her disappointment. Thinking you're going to get to meet one of your childhood idols Mm -hmm. and then being like, oh, no, she can't. She decided not to do that. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that there was a through line because I'm sure Sonequa Martin-Green has told a similar story of watching Whoopi Goldberg and seeing a black woman doing comedy. Yeah. And, and you know, right. starring yeah. in the film, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Terrific. The mention of the uniforms. I, I do love uniforms in Star Trek and watching how they try to use them with some sense of logic. Uh, and this is, obviously, we, we've started DS9 at this point uh, and about to start Voyager, which have a different uniform from Next Generation, mostly so that they can differentiate what tv show you're watching at the time and they try to build in this thing that oh this is when they're changing uniforms so some people are rocking around with red shoulders some people have a red torso (laughs) and then and then you have picard who appears to go back and forth between uniforms i honestly didn't notice but i wonder if it's just because i'm so used to those uniforms in mm -hmm. any way because i just see them that it it didn't seem out of place to have them, but I honestly didn't notice. I, I kept noticing the difference between Kirk and Picard's uniforms, mm-hmm. in part because Kirk's uniform is so different from what we've seen him wear. Right. But that's funny. I didn't notice watching either. <laughs> it wasn't until after, and I was reading about it, mm-hmm. and then they pointed out, too, that at the end, Jordy's uniform is, like, way too big, and it's because it's actually Calmini's mm-hmm. from yeah. Deep Space Nine. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I totally didn't even pick up on that. Yeah. I, I love watching um, Jonathan Frakes because part of the thing with the DS9 uniform is I think that the idea was like it's more practical. It's more for a space station where you've got to muck in and stuff. So it's all like about rolling your sleeves up. 
and, and, and Jonathan Frakes has his sleeves like up to his elbow, pulling them up with just the undershirt showing beneath them. It looks so small for him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Interesting. Love it. They actually, they did design different uniforms for the film. Mm -hmm. They wanted to, you know, have their own stamp on this. So they designed ones that were the next generation uniforms, but with the sort of lapel pin cross thing of the movie uniforms, the Monster Maroons that we saw in the original series. That, but it's all one colour, so you pull it across and you've got the rank stripes holding it together. Didn't I think I read that the action figures that came mm. out had those uniforms on them. Because yeah. they were created before they no finalized it. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. And it's a shame because it's a nice design and it's nice doing like movie things, but I can see they were trying to keep the logic together. Um, although no one, apparently the, there was one line that I read that no one actually checked on Voyager. They just thought DS9 was the latest uniform. So they used the DS9 uniform as their template. Whereas the intention had been starships have the next gen and star space stations have the DS9 uniforms. Mm. But Voyager just ended up with the different ones. <laughs> Brilliant. And the other new thing that we see in this is we get introduced to stellar cartography. Yes. Which we've never seen before. Which suddenly, oh, we have a new room with a shiny blue screen in the back of it that we can do <laughs> nice effects on. They wanted to build at least one new set. <laughs> yeah, they did so, that. So <laughs> stellar cartography was it. And apparently Picard had some problems with like... <laughs> Uh, some feelings of uneasiness with the way the projection worked around them and kind of being on this platform. Mm. It was kind of not a comfortable place to stand and do filming. Interesting. Because I did think watching it, like, they're not very practiced or, or they, they don't come across as being practiced at acting to blue screens, mm -hmm. given how much time they stand acting towards the view screen of the Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I think I read the, the the set they built for this was huge. Like, it was one of the biggest sets they had ever built really? on the Paramount, Paramount lot, I think. Okay. I may cool. be mixing it up with a different set, but I'm pretty sure that's what I read. Nice. Nice. <laughs> I do like the introduction of that one. That's very cool. Um, and <clears throat> Excuse me. The, the other thing that stands out as really different is the bit where the warp core is going to breach and Geordie has to roll underneath the, the isolation doors coming down. Because he does that a couple of times in the series, and he sort of ducks underneath it, gets out with, you know, loads of time to spare. And in this one, it starts coming down, and everyone's getting out, and he does a kind of Indiana Jones roll, just getting underneath it. Hmm. It's a proper little stunt moment, but you compare it to how they do it in the series, and it's like, oh yeah, they had actual stunt people planning this. Right. Rather right. than just, we can't risk our actor, so we're going to sort of hold it going down very slowly until he's <laughs> underneath, and then we'll let it go. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Love it. We've not talked Klingons. We have the the return of Klingons. And I think, Mandy, when we talked Star Trek 3, we said we'd talk Klingon women more. Boob windows. Absolutely. Although mm -hmm. I, th I think the men have them too in this. Oh, I didn't even notice fair. because it was just so <laughs> prominent. I mean, I still love that Klingon women are often shown as leaders mm -hmm. once we get at least a TNG um, and moving forward, which is nice. But the uniforms kill me. I had canon it as that Klingon women are so awesome that they leave this vulnerability exposed because with their warrior skills, no one will ever get a chance at it. Nice. And they can kind of like flaunt it because, yeah, if you attack me, I'm killing you. 
All right. All right. I will try to adopt that headcanon as well. <laughs> Stab me in the cleavage, I dare you. Kabla. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's very good. Yep. Um, one of our Klingon, I think the helmsman maybe, was Brian Thompson. <sighs> I was so bummed I didn't catch that. Like, I saw him in the list, the cast list, but right. I didn't notice him when I was watching it. And usually so I recognize his face, even if he's covered in makeup. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he was the judge, right? And mm-hmm. I, you can tell that's Brian Thompson. Yeah. So I'm really surprised I didn't catch it. Yeah, this was a good period for him because he was uh, doing a few bits in Star Trek. He rocks up as like a Klingon and a, I think a Jemadar in one as well. He's obviously doing stuff in Buffy. He's the alien bounty hunter in the X-Files. He just has that physique. It really works on TV. Yeah. He's huge. Mm. Luke is big. But other than that, they're all faceless Klingons, largely. A Klingon mm-hmm. group who are on the bridge that we've designed for many other things. And then all the special mm-hmm. effects are reused from the previous movie. Yeah. Brilliant. The the explosion of the... um Oh, what did you call him? Christopher Plummer? Oh, Klingon Doc Brown. No, um, oh, no, 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 Christopher Plummer, not, um, yeah. what did I, Klingon Captain Von Trapp? That's the one. Was that, that Kling- it? Yeah. Yeah. His, his bird of prey is the bird of prey we see exploding in this one as well. Because <laughs> why not? Why not? <laughs> All right. I Terrific. didn't notice, so I'm their target demographic. I don't yeah. pay attention to these things. <laughs> I haven't noticed until this watch through, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> um, I think they reused the the um, uh, shot of the torpedo coming in as well. So as okay. soon as she turns around, I was like, I've seen this before. <laughs> this whole <laughs> sequence is like, and it's from something else, not this movie. Mm. Hey, whatever works and saves a little bit of money. <laughs> um, speaking of random actors that we see on mm. the bridge of ships. I was quite pleasantly surprised to see Tim Russ on the Enterprise B. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh my God, that's Tubak, but not Tubak. Oh, he was desperate to be in this series, wasn't he? <laughs> he was. Apparently he did, um, I looked it up, he did several small things like this mm-hmm. um, over the course before he landed Tuvok on Voyager. Yeah. Which I think is fantastic. He auditioned for Geordi LaForge. Really? <laughs> Yes. I, I think he might have auditioned for Cisco, because um, he's definitely in a Next Generation episode as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, as always, Star Trek man. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> I love when there are actors who are such like fans of the work that they want to be a part of it so badly. Like, I think that's great. <laughs> nice. And he was spectacular as Tuvok, so yay him. That is very fair. Let's bring it back around to plot. What there is of it, because <laughs> there's the whole Malcolm Adele, Romulan, Klingon thing, Picard going after him, and there's Data's emotion chip. Hmm. Now, it's a different chip than we saw when he gets the emotion chip, when when he takes it out of law, um, but fine, you know, you can change things, that's okay. How did you find Data getting emotions? Um, I actually, you know what, let me, let me, let me find my thought, because my <laughs> thought that I wrote in my doc was... Pretty spot on. Have you been finessing? <laughs> no, no, no. This was this was like live. Sure. This is what I thought. Oh, where did it go? It used the word obnoxious. Oh, I don't see it. I did write. I don't think I can. I don't think data can handle having emotions. I don't see it. But I used the word obnoxious. That's that's what I have to say about 
data. He Oh, there it is. Data catching up on all of the humor he's missed is both hilarious and obnoxious. That's what it is. <laughs> it, it was funny, but oh my God, if they had done any more, I would not have been able to handle it. It was a little okay. over the top. Because... Uh, yeah, there's only that sequence on the space station. Like, he goes on for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they do you know, give a reason for it. The chip is overloading him and so on. But it it is a bit much. It's a bit much, yeah. The humor and and the fear, honestly. I'm not sure I buy that he would have reacted that way out of fear. Mm. Like, Data has been in those situations before, so he at least has programmed in him what to do. Mm-hmm. And so he should have been, and, and I know the point was he can't control it because it's new, but I, I felt like he would have been able to do something besides cower and whimper, but plot bunny, I guess, because we needed <laughs> Malcolm McDowell to take Jordy. Although we didn't actually need him to take Jordy. I still don't understand why he did other than because they wanted to plant the camera in his visor but they didn't know they were gonna have Jordy before that so that can't be why they took him i think maybe just a delaying tactic if mm. they had a live hostage that would buy him enough time to do the next step of what he had to do okay maybe mm. i don't think it was part of their original plan but i think when it came up and he realized there was these people here he had to deal with dealing with a live hostage would have been you know, he could use to his advantage, mm-hmm. along with Jordy's visor as a way to exploit something else. But the, uh, that came to nothing either. Like, what was the point? Well, they got to destroy the Enterprise. It gave the Duras sisters a leg up. They could spy on a Federation ship. Right, but then they immediately died, so it didn't do <laughs> anything for the Klingons. Like, that knowledge died with them. The only other thing that I was thinking might have been a reason for it is if either for the character or for LeVar Burton, they wanted to give a good reason to stop using the visor, that this was written in as sort of like an inciting incident, Mm -hmm. because in the next movie, he has just contact lenses and like his new ocular implants. I like that. And I can see that in the same way they were destroying the Enterprise Possibly so they could get a new ship mm-hmm. from a like production standpoint. Yeah. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. know if that's the actual reason, but it occurred to me. Um, it also really mm-hmm. stood out on this watch through how they had this whole very disgustingly ableist speech from Soren where he's pointing out that like you're not normal because mm-hmm. you have this visor. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's really weird considering how far in the future they are Mm. and how accommodations like this would have been much more commonplace. It just really felt out of place. And like, yeah. I mean, Soren was evil, so maybe that was just another like notch in that peg. Maybe it could have been. Yeah, that's the way I take it that it's, you know, him... He is doing some level of torturing here, uh, yeah. less than was written. But and, and you do at least have Geordie speaking back to him mm-hmm. and sort of questioning, well, what's normal? Hmm. Possibly not enough. I do love how our conversations just 
go from one thing to another because your initial question <laughs> was about data's emotion chip and now we're talking about <laughs> Jordy being tortured and like terrible writing. So I think it's great. Um, but you did specifically ask about data's emotion. So I'm curious what was driving mm. that question. It's the only other real thing in the film. Um, and sort of being overwhelmed by emotion. I, I think I said at the beginning a thing about how they've got some themes and parallels in here that they don't necessarily know they've got. Because you've got um, Soren trying to return to his family. You've got Picard losing his family and the emotion that brings and someone else struggling to deal with emotion. Mm-hmm. And you've got Picard struggling to work because of the emotion at the beginning. So they've got things they could build on here, but I don't think they do anything with them. Um, I think they tried, but they did it lazily. Because there was this whole thread of data, and I and I have a note about this. Data was saying, "I don't want this. You need to deactivate me and mm-hmm. take this ship out because I can't control it." And my note was, "Data, humans control it every day. This is what we do, right?" And so I think they were trying to make that point, but they did it lazily. Mm. And it's it's that one conversation, and then we move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and and it could have come up more than once because he had a conversation with the doctor about it and or maybe it was Deanna. I can't remember. But then there was also the conversation with Picard where Picard ends up yelling at him. No, we're not going to deactivate you. I need you to do your fucking job, you know, (laughs) but it could have been explicit, more explicit than it was, I Mm -hmm. think. But they tried, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. I think so. This my my favorite moment was. Data's reaction to finding Spot at the end. Mm, and I think that's a, the, the payoff of the emotion chip being that scene is enough for me because I loved that scene so much. Nice. Even though it has nothing to do with the plot of this movie whatsoever, <laughs> it was delightful and it was sweet and it brought tears to my eyes. Oh, hmm. nice. <laughs> so there we go. The, the payoff, it, it, yeah, that, that's where I am. We got to see, yay, happy kitty. I like how subtle they are with Spot earlier on. Mm-hmm. Because he's in the scene where they're talking. And he is clearly being a loving cat daddy. Right. Um, whatever the word for that is. Pet owner, perhaps. Um, <laughs> but it's not, you know, they're not hammering home the point. Hey, he's got a cat and he loves him more than anything else in the world. Mm-hmm. And he loves his best friend more than anything else in the world. It's just part of the scene. So when you get to the end, it is like, oh, yes, that's very nice because we saw the cat earlier, but they've not sort of insisted we read the emotion from it. Mm-hmm. That was nice. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, there's not too much more in terms of plot I'm trying to think through. Let's compare it a little bit to the um, original series movies. Because one of the complaints I always have is that they don't do anything with Sulu, Chekhov, Scotty, Uhura. Mm-hmm. It's always about the big three. I feel like they try to give everyone a moment here. I don't feel like it necessarily works any better. Hmm. Well, but TNG doesn't have an equivalent of the big three. Because the, the cast, I don't think they do. Because I think, I mean, maybe it's the big five or six. Because when I think of TNG, I equally think of Picard, Riker, Geordi, Data, Deanna, Beverly, right? To me, okay. they all have equal – and Worf. Completely, completely forgot about Worf, who did nothing in this movie except fall off the plank at the beginning. But, you know, they're all it, – it, That was his moment. That was his moment. 
but it's a different dynamic in, in TNG. And so I don't see them trying to, I don't know. I don't actually know what I'm trying to say other than I don't okay. think I agree with you and I'm rambling. That's where we are. I think it's definitely a different dynamic. Uh, the charisma of those three in the original series was part of what worked, mm. but their friendship and banter was central to that. Mm -hmm. Right. In Next Gen, the most popular characters were Picard, Data, somewhat Worf, and those are the characters they focus on here. Data gets this plot line partly because his character was so popular mm. and was one of the only next-gen characters that got through-line stories as he explored his humanity. Mm. But him and Picard were never paired as confidants or friends the way that Kirk, Spock, and Bones were. Mm. And I think that's part of what is a weakness in these movies, because they don't have that natural doing things together. Their plots were never intersecting mm. in quite the same mm. way. So part of what Data's emotion chip and development in this one was, I think, was because he was so popular with the fans. So they wrote that in. But they couldn't find a really elegant way to weave it through the plot thematically. And so that's why it feels kind of janky. And then yeah. the other characters mm -hmm. just get their moment. Yeah. That's, yeah, because there was a moment early on, um, right after Picard finds out that his brother's family died, when he's clearly distraught and Will comes in and is trying to find out what's wrong. You can tell they don't have a friendship relationship. It's very much um, like boss and subordinate, right? Because mm -hmm. Will doesn't push him at all. And he continues to call him sir and all of those things. He doesn't respond the way you would respond to somebody that you cared about in that intimate way. <laughs> and this is coming at the end of the series. So this is after seven seasons of them being together. And if that's still the relationship they have, then there's no way... It's ever going to be anything like what Bones and Spock and Kirk had. Like, Picard doesn't have those kinds of relationships. Yeah, I think calling it a different dynamic, that's definitely on point. Because, yeah, it's not the three of them off having an adventure, but it is Picard sort of running the story, mm -hmm. Data going through a thing, and Riker takes command. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like that's pretty much all the crew get. Obviously, Geordi gets to do a bit I'm not sure how much he actually does in that. The doctors. He was really happy he got that scene with the kids evacuating mm. because that was something his character didn't usually do. Nice, yeah, and it's and, and it's good. It's a good. It's a good thing. I did like your call. Deanna got to drive the ship. Yes, <laughs> yes, she drove it and crashed it yet again. <laughs> I, I, with very little loss of life. That is so true. She crashed it really well. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. A plus on crashing the ship. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure the doctor got really anything. She had really amazing hair. She does. That is very true. She got a bit of an info dump sort of towards the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At a briefing table or something. Um, and yeah, Worf fell off a plank and knew about a Klingon ship that, frankly, Wikipedia would know. So Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Before we start wrapping up into the things we like, other than my mm. data spot moment, I want to talk about time travel shenanigans in this movie. Because mm. there's a lot of time travel plot holes in this. Unless 
I just missed it, and you guys can tell me I missed it. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, in the first version of the timeline, Picard's trying to crawl through the hole in the rock, and Soren collapses the rock on him. And then he continues to shoot, and there's all these clouds of dust, and we can't see anything. And then suddenly, Picard is out and fighting him. But Kirk's not there. So you're led to believe this is the original Picard. I don't actually know. Um, And then he goes through the whole thing. He ends up in the Nexus, and he comes back with Spock. I mean, not Spock. With Kirk, right around the same time that the first Picard is is collapsing under the rock. So... Are there two Picards? Did the first Picard die and this is a different Picard? Like, what happened? Duh. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> like, if he came back before the Nexus, then there's already a Picard on this planet, and there should be two, and that doesn't get addressed at all. Hmm. I have nothing. <laughs> My beef with is that... They get sucked into the Nexus only when the Nexus physically crosses over where they are, but they can pop out, like, just wherever in the universe. <laughs> and That whenever, was my thing yeah. that stopped me, too. I was like... No, honestly, that makes sense to me. I-, I can buy that, given the way they talked about how when you're inside the Nexus, time and space don't exist. It's actually their soul inside the nexus so his soul goes back and takes over the body of past picard then how did kirk get there his soul takes over past picard and picard's soul becomes a new being (laughs) he No, okay, so I have a question. Are you making this up, or is this actually what it was supposed to be, and you're trying to make it work? (laughs) No, you're absolutely spot on. It's ridiculous, because why go back to that point anyway? Why not go back to the beginning of all of this and be like, hey, put him in the brig. Right! And if you can pop out wherever, pop out next to the the rocket and (laughs) disable it. (laughs) Okay. Just like, off, click the switch down. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. So does, okay, it doesn't make sense. I'm not okay. Great. Awesome. No, it's it's ridiculous. Like he doesn't need Kirk there if he can go anywhere. And 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 again, why not send Kirk back to be like, "Hey, you're going to die if you do that thing. Just make sure you do it better." Or something. Yeah. Hmm. Mm, okay. Mm. <laughs> so basically, what I'm getting is this movie is really not a good movie. It's not well written. It has lots of plot holes. But it pays a lot of fan service because Picard and Kirk, so yay. And it has really good music. <laughs> yes. yes. Find a good rousing soundtrack in the background really helps enjoy a movie that might otherwise fall short. All right, fair enough. Thank you for reminding me. I was going to ask Miss Mandy Kay, how were you about the fact the Next Generation film did not have the Next Generation music in it? I was salty. <laughs> I was super salty. And and we've talked about this in almost all of the Star Trek movies. Like, the Star Trek theme song is so iconic, and it wasn't used in any of the movies as the primary theme. Like, we got hints and notes of it. And we did get a minor hint of it here at the end, but that's it. Hmm. And I, it just makes me mad because I... I mean, I don't go to Star Trek for the movie, I mean, for the music, but the Star Trek music takes me to Star Trek, right? You hear it and you're instantly transported to, oh, this is Star Trek. 
So yes, super salty. I don't understand why they continue to do that. But they've been doing it for like 30 years now. So, you know, it's a thing. I think you might be pleasantly surprised by at least one aspect of the other next-gen movies. Will I get the theme song? Is that what you're telling me? After listening or after watching this movie, the theme got so thoroughly stuck in my head. I <laughs> bought the album and then I was curious about the other next-gen themes. So yeah, I looked them all up and listened to them. Mm-hmm. And I noticed a pattern and they do have more of the next-gen theme in some of the other movies coming up. Okay. Good. Good, good, good. good. Because this one had a lot more of the DS9 theme in it, which I think was done on purpose, but I kept listening to it going, huh, that's weird. Yeah. Bit weird. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. Yeah. Have we covered all the points we wanted to hit on it? I think so. I I think we need to have some favorite moments because we've started (laughs) kicking this one while it's down a little bit. But we obviously all enjoy it somewhat. Is it a film we could just ramble on different aspects of? Yes. Is that part of the thing with it? Yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> did, did you have any others than Data Finding Spot? Um, I really enjoyed the moment when, right after Data got the chip, when he starts singing on the bridge and everybody on the bridge stops and turns around and looks at him. Like, and he's oblivious. The life forms. Yeah, everybody's song. like, what is he doing? <laughs> that is often quoted in my household. Oh, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> Yes. All right. Not necessarily with life forms, but turning like anything you're looking for into like my precious little, you know, whatever. <laughs> my precious little glasses. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's Amazing. Great. Amazing. Um, I always love seeing Guinan. So that was fun. Um, and then there was one line that Kirk had that was so on brand that I enjoyed. He said, I take it the odds are against us and the situation's grim. And then he was like, it sounds fun. So that was pretty good. Uh, mostly, it, it wasn't the movie itself. It was the idea of the movie that tickled me so much. Okay. So, then the feelings it gave me of having everybody on the screen together. And, and kind of, especially coming from, we've been watching the original series movies and I've always said that TNG was my Star Trek. And so this is the thing that does transition me without watching the TV show again. Like this gets me from where we were to where we're going. And I enjoy that a lot. So. Okay. What about you guys? Yeah, Jen, what, what's on your list of things that you love from this? Well, I realized watching that so many of my favorite data gifts come from this movie. Right. Mm-hmm. When he does his whole like triumphant yes. <laughs> and when he swears. Which is the first kind of in-character swearing in Star Trek. Mm, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, then... I, I used that gif in a like chat thread on Teams the other day at work. Because um, I've been trying to like get people to you know use it more casually and a little bit more informally. My boss then complimented me on it on a conference call later and went, I really enjoyed when you used that Star Wars gif. Oh, oh no! no. <laughs> my my work here is not yet done. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, the boat scene in the beginning where Worf's getting his promotion, mm-hmm. and the scene where Data pushes Beverly in is just cracks me up every oh, really? time. Yes, <laughs> I am on Team Data uh, on that. Like they should not have been angry with him considering yeah. they were just explaining to him who takes everything literally because he's an android 
whatever he is. Mm-hmm. They just told him it's all in good fun to drop somebody in the water. Of course he's going to push somebody in. I am absolutely And then she data. ends with getting the spirit data. Wait, what did <laughs> she think was going to happen? <laughs> it, is, yeah. it is quite funny. Yeah. <laughs> and then my... Other favorite scene is the only part in the Nexus that actually made sense for both the captains when they were horseback riding. Mm. And I love horseback riding scenes and things, so okay. that was good. Now, why do I think they were Shatner's horses or on his ranch or something? Pretty sure they were. Mm. I didn't look it up. I just kind of assumed that since he has a ranch with horses and it's in canon that Picard rides horses, mm-hmm. that it was a natural fit. Mm. Makes sense. Yeah. It's a good bonding moment. Yeah. And it is the moment where we get Kirk back to himself, which I enjoy. Yeah. 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 Just one other tidbit I just remembered about Picard's Nexus scene. Mm-hmm. The reason it looks that way is because he was going to be staging the Christmas Carol again. Oh, so okay. again, they he, like the, the theater company had all this set dressing that they just used for the scene. Right. I did right. wonder why his perfect life was 19th century <laughs> England. <laughs> yes, and that scene bothers me because it's as much out of character for Picard as Kirk's scene is out of character for him. Yeah. They are both captains. Their ideal world should have been something about being a captain while also having a family, mm-hmm. not mm. having a family to the exclusion of being a captain. Plus, Picard's wife should have been Beverly Crusher. Yes. Yes, <laughs> Team Beverly here as well. And for them to use a different redhead is just a slap in the face, by the way. Yes. <laughs> How about you, Matthew? Um, Your faves? A, a lot of the same stuff. We, we When we talked about um, Data's emotions, I love Geordie's reaction on the space station. <laughs> because he ends up just staring at him with a bit of a pelt on of like, I'm going to have to put up with two weeks for this. Mm-hmm. And eventually he'll get out of it. It'll be fine. But oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> He's got just such a good like, mm, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> Jordy is such a good friend to date. Yes. Really yeah, he is. <laughs> Um, and exactly like you say, there are just so many moments from this that are gifts unto themselves that, that are, are regularly used that are just the sort of perfect moments from Star Trek. The, the bit when they have to get out of the exploding star's path once everyone beams on board and Picard does his, what one? Engage. And it's just, it's so dynamic. He jumps up and does the finger thing and. It's great. Perfect. It's the perfect time. When they finally fire on the Klingon ship and, and Riker gets to do his pause, pause, fire. You know, it's the thing we've seen him do several times at significant moments and he gets to do it in the best he ever does it here. Little did they know all these very slow in movie moments actually was a gift to the gif artists of the future. Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> You reminded me saying about the, the you know, Riker, no, that Shatner, not Shatner, Kirk giving his, like, most Kirk line eventually, whereas we open with Riker giving his most Riker line when they're talking about being out on the seas and how wonderful it would have been guiding by the stars. And he goes, bad food, terrible discipline, no women. Well, thanks, Will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Get your mind a bit further up. <laughs> 
It, see, it is fun, and you're right. It's so fan servicey. Mm-hmm. Just all of this stuff that is just, if you like Next Generation, we're going to dial it up to eleven. Yes, and they and, did. and I think yeah, it's that that would have made me see it three times, mm-hmm. and not have been able to critique it when I saw it because it wasn't. You know, it was a few years later when Phantom Menace came out that I realised you can criticise something even if you love it. Yes. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Well, is there anything else that we need to discuss about Star Trek Generations? Let's talk on the other films and the other next-gen stuff. Uh, which one's next? Is it First Contact? First Contact next. Because you've seen some, I think. Yeah, but I'm going to pretend I haven't, so we can just watch them all. <laughs> you just want to watch Star Trek. <laughs> I do. That's fair. I mean, that's that's how we all feel every day, right? <laughs> I mean, we have to keep watching them until we run out, right? Do we want to combine any and just get them done? That's not my call, because I really don't remember them. I know everybody complains about Nemesis, but I don't I don't remember it. So. Okay. Jen, Jen, do you have any recommendations for how we should get through the rest? Do we, should, do, we do them one by one? First Contact is next. Mm-hmm. So you might do that one on its own and then combine Insurrection and Nemesis. Okay. Also, just, I don't know if you want to be finished before Picard starts, <sighs> but that might be too fast. Oh, I really do need to rewatch uh, TNG before Picard starts. I don't think I can do that. No. Yeah, you've got like four weeks. <laughs> I have a select list for you, Mandy. Okay, yeah. I'm, I've am i got a list of Next Gen and Voyager episodes. Okay. And I've sort of ranked them in my must-watch. And the would be nice, and somebody else suggested this be on the list, but I don't think you should watch it. Okay. Well, and and so I have seen all of TNG and Voyager, but it's been so long, and I watched, so a new teaser for Picard dropped last week, and I watched it, and he was talking about things that made me feel like things happened towards the end, like either in later movies or something about his career and his life that I just don't remember that would be helpful to know. I don't think the series is going to rely on you having seen Star Trek. I think it, the same stuff they're going to do with the MCU. If you haven't seen all the stuff, you might miss some references, some links and things, but they will not leave their audience adrift. Right. I don't want to miss the references and the links. I want to be no, but- on the inside with the people like you guys. <laughs> From what I've seen and heard, the most important... Um, universe political references probably are from Nemesis. <laughs> like the events in Nemesis are probably uh, foundational okay. to sort of where this Starfleet and Picard ends up here. Okay. Oh boy. <laughs> All right. Cool. 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 Okay. Cool. Cool. I'm channeling so watch Matthew. And take notes. <laughs> And then when you record about it later, right? <laughs> just refer back to your notes. That Ta- actually might podcasting have to be. is time travel. Yes, <laughs> that's what you say. I do. Yes. Uh, yep. It's better time travel than this movie was. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, if you would like to join the conversation and talk to us about Star Trek, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at eloquentgushing. Or you can send an email to podcast at eloquentgushing.com and give us your opinion on whether or not we should watch the rest of the movies individually or combine them, as has been suggested. Jen, thank you so much for joining us. It is always wonderful having you on and having a friend to talk Star Trek about. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. It's always fun to be on. Yay. Uh, Have you watched anything since you were last on? Anything you would recommend we seek out and watch in a future episode? 
Okay, I've got another very niche recommendation that I actually brought up to you guys on Twitter. Because when you watched, I think, Hello, Dolly, Mm -hmm. you mentioned it had Michael Crawford. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I've only seen one Michael Crawford film in my childhood, and it's Condor Man. Have you seen that? I've never even heard of it. Was he bitten by a radioactive condor? No. (laughs) It's a comic book artist gets sucked into uh, a CIA um, mission to help somebody from Russia defect. And it's a comedy. It's hilarious to me anyways. And you wouldn't have seen it because unless you watched it on TV in the 80s, or got one of the few DVDs that they made, Mm -hmm. getting it on DVD now is like $150 or more. Holy cow. Um, You can now at least get it on like iTunes. You can rent it or buy it. It is available to rent on Amazon. it's owned by Disney. Okay. Yeah, it's also owned by Disney. And I heard that Disney Plus is like releasing their back catalog eventually. So it might come out on that at some point. Um, but it is hilarious and just very spy comedy-esque with some comic book elements thrown in. Okay. All right. So Honestly, this sounds like Matthew's kind of movie. It does sound quite fun, to be fair. <laughs> yes. So I, I think we should put it on the list. It looks ah. interesting. And I can see on Letterboxd you have watched it. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yes. All right. And it is Amazon it's on Amazon, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, and Vudu in the United States. So yeah. it, it, it can be watched. Uh, I can get it on DVD for two ninety nine apparently, from Amazon. But not on Amazon Prime Video. You can get it on DVD for two ninety nine. Going to this. Do I need to send you this for Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> no, I have a um, uh, copy. <laughs> A dot, My dot, husband dot, tracked down less legitimately <laughs> for me at some point. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so where can people find your show? Where can they find you? Well, my Star Trek show, A Command of Her Own, can be found on Twitter at Command of Her Own or on Instagram. And you can find me on Twitter at Generosity. Terrific. I thoroughly recommend the Instagram if you're going to do more of those stories because it was really interesting going... Oh, there's news. Oh, there's reactions news. Even better. <laughs> yes, I will try and do more of that in the future. Yeah. I kind of want to get a stand for my iPhone or something because mm-hmm. I holding it is um, a little difficult. But yes, I want to do more of that. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And you did those like the 30 day images from Star Trek. A, a that while was back. so much fun. I love seeing those on my Instagram feed. So I keep thinking I need to find something else. I might put something up as like a um, lead into Picard or something, a tie in with the list of episodes I've got prepared. Mm-hmm. Nice. So that I really must wonderful. return and do that at some point. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. When is this episode coming out? Is it is before Picard starts, right? <laughs> it, it's possible not. <laughs> just thinking about that oh my goodness it has to be because i don't think we're that far ahead yet i love that you guys have the luxury to record like ahead and bank episodes it's tough right now because we have like an eight week run where we can't record because of our schedules so we're struggling (laughs) 
Oh, this comes out the week thing. the week of Picard, January twenty first. Nice. All right. Nice. We totally planned that. Totally. Totally. All right. One hundred percent. Do we need to record something in the beginning? Hey, if you're enjoying, no. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to help us fund access to watching Star Trek Picard. You can support us on Patreon. Uh, We are supported by our amazing listeners on Patreon who get access to bonus shows, early access to shows, merchandise, magnets, stickers, coasters, all sorts of things, discounts on our merch store. We get to upgrade our equipment. We get to run new shows. It's amazing support we get, and we thank everyone for it. If you can help us in any way, please find more information on patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And we will be back next week with another episode where we are going to talk about The Jerk. Until then, I'm Andy Kay. And I have an appointment with Eternity, and I don't want to be late. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, visit eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at eloquentgushing.